Hi, you're listening to the Iron Series by Carfi. Carfi exists to obtain and sustain resources for aspiring African leaders. Learn more about our mission and our work at www.carfi.org. Hello, my name is Sean Shokundi, and you are listening to the second part of our episode that we started back in May called The Diaspora. I'm sorry that we're just getting it back to you now, but I am happy that we did wait because we have a special addition to the conversation that was started with our four young women who are representatives of the Gen Z generation. Uh, who, someone who is educating this generation right now, who, uh, whose life's mission with her work is to make sure that they are adequately set up with the right tools, the right resources to not only pursue leadership, but do so at no expensive cost to themselves. And we'll go into more what that means later. My name is Ade BC, Ade Bowale, and she is an amazing, amazing soul, point blank period. <laughs> But she is also an award-winning entrepreneur, accomplished public speaker. Recently came from the Global Change Makers uh, Summit in Zurich, Switzerland, providing a training to some young aspiring leaders across the globe. And she is of African descent, so of course her life's goal is to make sure that young people who look like her, who are from the same heritage background as her, are also well equipped to have experiences such as the ones who attended her programming out in Europe and that we began the Zaspera conversation talking about the pressures, the undue pressures sometimes that um, young people within the African diaspora feel when they are being pushed into any form of education and also in their professional pursuits. A lot of the times they're going at it without clear direction. And their parents, our elders, mean very well when they tell them to be ambitious, to pursue the uh, pursue the highest goals. And so we're building a generation of young people who are going to the professional field, knowing that they just have to do this because their parents told them to do it, but not knowing a greater purpose behind it and not being self-actualized to know how they fit within that larger scheme. And so I'm happy to have this episode that compares and contrasts basically what at ABC as a professional has seen in her work in talking to both African parents and talking to their children about uh, this this divide and understanding of what to do when they get to that level of uh, adulthood where they're not expected to be leaders. I hope you pay special attention to this conversation, not just because of the, just not not just to hear the perspectives of the young people and the tensions and the frustrations that they're feeling entering into the global labor market, but also to fully understand the purpose behind an event that my organization, CARFI, is getting ready to host in September, which is called the Genvolution Conference. The conference main goal is to bring together young people from across the diaspora, as well as you know older people, more seasoned professionals, to come together and have a genuinely honest conversation about how can we make sure that 
we understand the different mindsets from one generation to the next and see where there are gaps in our understanding and see where there are gaps in terms of passing down strategic lessons on leadership development and advancement on the continent from back and forth from one generation to the other. I think there's a lot of things that the elders can learn from the younger generation. And of course, the younger generation is eager to learn from their elders, but they also want to be heard and understood for where they're at in their own personal development. And so there's more information on the conference if you follow us on social media. It's being announced on a specific page for the Genvolution Conference. So anywhere, Facebook or Instagram, just follow at Genvolution Conference, J-E-N-Volution Conference, all one word. But you'll also be seeing updates on the Carfi pages as well. And of course, on the Carfi website. Without further ado, here's part two of the Zaspora. So having to, you know, cry nights and be like, okay, like, do I even belong here, right? So, like, I went to a predominantly white institution. So, like, there's, like, phew, Hello? this many colored people. Hello? So, everybody knows everybody, and everybody's trying to make a way. But sometimes you get so caught up in your own journey that you forget to check on the person that's next to you. Yeah. So, throughout that entire time, I know my mental health was just, like, in the trash. <laughs> just... And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that we later. Gonna, we gonna talk but, about that. See, my thing with that... <laughs> my thing with that was, like, for me, though... There was a struggle in terms of like an am I black enough type hey, thing now. My though, friend, we can't go there. Because um sometimes like the studies that I was in took away all of my time. Like all of my time, all of my energy, every club that I was in, like ate, slept, breathed biology. And so I would have friends in these other circles and I was like, I wanna be a part of Nesby, I wanna be a part of BSU. And my friends would know, so I know, like, the president of Nesby. But then, like, just a couple weeks ago, they're like, we ain't seen you. Who are you? Like, you're... So being the outsider <laughs> and the black the black group, you're like, oh, so... Yeah, I've actually been here for four years. Um, <laughs> from the looks of it, I think I'm black. Um, like... For three years, so... I was like, hey, it's me, the one who sends you the emails every week. Right. I'm good. So that was another, like, a tough thing to wrestle with, too, just trying to decide, like, what gets a lot of my time and how I'm going to build those communities, too, because we have to we have to look out for each other as mm-hmm. colored as colored women, mm-hmm. especially. And but sometimes, like, the studies are going to take away from that. So how do you balance it and still be an active member and contributing member of that? Given all you shared about the influence your parents had and then all the different, um, what do you call it, like hurdles you had to jump over, whether it be stereotypes, um, uh, you know, lack of like emotional support and things like that um, while in college. What does that teach you about how you are going to raise your children when it comes to navigating college and coming up with a professional wow. direction up here? I've actually been thinking about that as well, like how I want to raise my, my children. Um, that's crazy that you mentioned that. Like I was just talking about that like two days ago. Um, I definitely have a great foundation. My yeah. family is, is my 
you know, I can say like I come from a solid foundation. Yeah, like a solid. You know, born and raised in the church. You know, but found my own relationship with God. So I'm definitely gonna um. As for me and my household, we shall serve the Lord. Hey, so as for me and mine, hey, <laughs> that's that, and it's not changing. But um, I'm big on morals and standards, and um, not limiting yourself because that's the season that I'm in right now. Like struggling between um, I graduated, so what now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, didn't think I would be thinking that about myself right now. But you learn different things every day, yeah. and I'm like. Taking the lessons and and I'm like, okay, so what am I gonna teach my daughter mm-hmm. about herself? How to love herself? How to be strong throughout times like this? I'm learning what strength is, like, um, just morals and standards that I want to teach my kids, mm-hmm. girls yeah. and boys. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not for that boys will be boys either because I've experienced that in my life as well. Um, and just 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 teaching them how to stand up for what they believe in in yeah. a respectful manner. Uh, keeping their head on their shoulders. Like when I went to college, I was very focused. I didn't lose myself. Mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of my like old friends go to college and they completely lose who they are. Yeah. They completely, um, you know what I'm saying? Completely turn into this person that they're not. And um, I'm so grateful that I had that solid foundation, my, which my family has instilled in me, um, the morals, mm-hmm. you know, don't do this, don't do that. Things that I truly believe in as well. Like some things that my, my, that, that my, my parents have, um, tried to put on me, I'd be like, nah, that's all you. Like, <laughs> I don't say that, but I'm like, nah, I might try that. Um, you know, I don't smoke, and I don't judge people who do, I don't drink. Um, I just don't want those things to over, to take over who I am as a person, what I have to offer. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, as a black woman, it's already hard enough getting doors closed on you in any industry that you're in. Mm-hmm. Whatever you're doing, yep. psychology, biology, like being a doctor, being a lawyer, they're gonna. They're, there's so many white men in these fields that are already taking up capacity, mm-hmm. right? And for a black woman who knows who she is to walk in that door and take charge, they're like, "Who's she?" Mm-hmm. No, I'm, I'm here to. I'm here, right, right. The next, shut it right, down. I'm here, to, <laughs> I'm here to shut it down. So <laughs> I'm here to shut it down. That's what I'm here to do. Um, and I just want to instill that in my kids about you know learning who they are and and, and standing up for what they believe in, respectful manner, having morals and standards, you know, their foundation, keeping God first, mm-hmm. just those things, and, and learning from their hardships, and, and yeah. learning that just because you're going through struggles does not make you weak. I love that. It's funny, because I've been having, like, baby fever lately. Woo! Not that I want to have one now, but, like, I just love children, and, like, Same. everywhere I go, there's, like, little babies, the and they're hugging the me. And they're, like, smiling at me. I'm like, ah, oh, you're so cute, right? So I think definitely to reiterate that, right? Like, I have a strong foundation. Like, don't get it twisted. Like, my parents did their job. Oh, right? yeah. Very well. You know, I think there's always going to be good and bad in whatever relationship you're in. Um, but I think moving forward, you know, definitely going to bring the culture in. Definitely going to teach the language because I'm very big on that. Like, mm-hmm. I can speak French and Julat, Like, And there's a lot of people that can't, right? So instilling that culture aspect but i think specifically in the time they were in like self-care like i'm so big on self-care with like mental health and like spirituality um and being in tune with yourself yeah um i was reading something and i don't know who said it but it's like self-care is like one of the biggest form of resistance right so like knowing yourself and taking inventory and really being confident and authentic i think that's something that i really want to translate into that because i think you mentioned people losing themselves when they go to college 
I, I felt that, but in a different way. I think I found myself as opposed to losing myself. I think I, I was able to really figure out who I was, what I liked, what I didn't like, you know? Because I think in my household, a lot of it was I'm, I'm a servant leader. Like, mm-hmm. I, I will give my all to the people that I love. It doesn't matter. Call me at 3 a.m. I'll pull up, right? I've always, I've always been taught to give. And in my head, it was like, okay, like, I shouldn't want to give to myself because that'd be selfish. You know, like, yeah. why should I want to take care of myself when I can be taking care of you? But the saying goes, you can't pour from an empty cup. Yep. So, you know, I want to make sure that my children are very well aware of, like, this is where you come from, right? This, this is what the world is. Like, how is it that you want to show up? you know and how do I support you how do I challenge you so I think a lot of times we we have relationships and dynamics that are enabling right it's like I love you so I'm gonna let you do what you want it's like no 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 Mm -hmm. I love you and that's why I'm challenging you challenging you to be a better version of yourself or how do I insert myself in a way that you know allows you to make mistakes but like I'll watch because I need you to understand and learn. Because I think yeah. sometimes we try and avoid certain things, but it's like there's lessons, there's there's understanding, there's endurance, right, that comes from that. So I think, I don't know, like children, like I love them, but it's also a scary thing because it's like now like you're responsible for another being, yeah. right? Like how do you, I don't want to say mold, but like how do you yeah. pour into that being such that, you know, a lot of the things you went through, they don't have to go through. Like, I told myself, I was like, I know when my children go to college, you will have money in a trust fund somewhere. You're still going to apply to scholarships because, you know, get learning. your point, learning, <laughs> learning, right? Building endurance. But there are certain things that I know, like financially, I want my children to be financially stable. I yeah. don't want them to have to ever question or to ever want. You're going to work for it. You're going to understand, like, what, what a good work yes. ethic's like. You know, you're going to understand where you come from. But... I think because of everything my parents have sacrificed and, like, my family just as a whole, like, I want to build generational wealth. Like, that's yeah. something that I want to do. I want them to feel independent. You know, if you want to go sing on Broadway, sing on Broadway. Do the damn thing, right? Like, whatever your heart desires, how do we cultivate that so you're in an environment of love but also in an environment where you feel like the sky isn't the limit, right? right? You could do whatever your heart, your mind is set to, Um yeah, I just I just want my, my children to be able to dream as much as I've been able to. And I think lately I've been reading stuff where it's like our parents sacrifice so much in order to survive and provide for us. And like what a luxury it is yeah. that we've had the opportunity to dream, right? To take these times to say, oh, like I'm going to do a self-care thing, right? Like I feel like my parents don't even like really know like what a self-care thing is, right? Like what is mental health? What is taking care of yourself and loving yourself and, and being authentic about that? Mm-hmm. Um so really just trying to make sure that all the things that I've reaped and I've benefited, that I can pour that into them. Yeah. Um, definitely want to raise human beings that are confident and are sure that their parents are standing behind them and supporting them in whatever is right and whatever is true and whatever is good. Because um, I think that's just such a key moment in a parent-child relationship to know that I have the independence and the freedom to navigate life but mom's going to be there to catch me like if something something goes down like where's the instruction coming from where's the help coming from and my parents honestly they did a great job of that um because there's still the things that my mom taught me like shoot for the moon and even if you miss you'll land among the stars like that's been like the heartbeat for me and knowing that I can shoot for whatever I need to shoot for and 
sometimes you're going to look around and there's going to be, okay, it's kind of sparse here, but you make, you can make silver out of plastic sometimes too. Like working hard for it, knowing that I'm going to be here to support you, keeping God first, because even when, hey, as humans, we're going to disagree sometimes. We're not going to see eye to eye on something. But if that's what God told you, you better believe that God is with you and for you for that. So that's like, I have to raise my kids to know that God is faithful, that God is true, and he's going to keep you in the things that he promised you. His promises never fail. So even when I mess up as a human being, trust in what the Lord says, because his promises are true. Um, And that's something, but definitely self-care and knowing how to take care of yourself and i think something that i've learned to value um in growing up too is not letting a job own you to like value yourself enough to say no and to step back and to say i need to i need this time because you need me more than i need you a lot of the time and just having that that confidence to say I value who I am enough to remain a person of integrity and to know that financially I'm safe and the job is there, but if it's going to compromise who I am and take away my livelihood, then that's not for me. And I can walk away from that. At ABC, at Ebowale. Thinking about human capital development or just our our young people who are graduating college right now getting ready to think about what's the next step in their um, paths and their journeys. So we talked about a lot about the work that you're doing here in the States, especially educating Africans who uh, their children here are first generation and are navigating the whole college process, which is pretty much like a scheme <laughs> that you have to uncover here in the States. But um, there's no bigger schemer than the tertiary system or the university system on the continent, right? Because unfortunately, that that is heavily like about whether or not you can pay, whether you have access to certain networks that can make your degree worthwhile. You know, I did a paper for my master's degree on the whole system in Egypt and Tunisia, and it's like, even when you do find your way into university, even when you do decide, I'm going to focus on, you know, the, the subjects that people tell me are going to immediately turn into a job, like business, science, medicine, et cetera. You still cannot get access to those lucrative jobs if you're not in the right circles. Right? Right. It's still a heavily guarded space um, when it comes to the continent. And that's why you continue to see highly educated uh, or high levels of high, highly educated youth who are unemployed mm-hmm. on the continent. And so I'm wondering if you follow that at all and what, how does that, how does that resonate with you in terms of your work and whether or not it will expand to include a, a bigger um, group of young people that you're serving? Yeah, I, I do follow it, probably not as in depth as I could, but I definitely do keep, tabs on what's going on specifically in Nigeria because that is my motherland. Um, It's very disappointing, very disgusting that even in 2019 that people are still dealing with such high employment, unemployment rates uh, after being educated. And 
after investing all this time and money into their livelihoods and just be, it's painful to sit down and do nothing. Mm-hmm. It, it still baffles me that people think that they can get paid to do nothing. Meaning like these people who think that they will make millions in two days from working from home and then have the rest of the day to, to do nothing. And it's just like, that's not reality. Mm-hmm. And there are people who are dying literally to get jobs, but cannot get employed and are just suffering intellectual loss because they're not able to be employed. Mm. You know, and if that, if you ever sit down and not have anything and you're, if you're a busy type of person or have always have something going on, just sit down for like a day and not do anything. So imagine having that happen for a year, two years, three years, four years, 20 years, and not having a job. It's real life for some people. And I say this um, to say, to answer your question rather, that yes, I do foresee my, my business expanding because one thing, and I think I touched about, upon it before, and I will say it again, is that the way that higher education, for instance, my, my, the purpose of my business is to get more students educated um, at reduced cost, of course, but still just to get them educated. When you look at the international recruitment between European, Asian, and African countries for schools in the States, it's very low in African nations compared to that of our European and Asian counterparts because there's more money being pushed into Asian and European markets through tourism, through business collaborations, through a number of things. And for whatever reason, Africa is still this donkey with a carrot being dangled in front of its face and not being able to master the skills that the European and Asian counterparts have yet been able, that the, the skills that the European and Asian counterparts have um, been afforded. Mm-hmm. It's an unfortunate reality. And here's the thing that blows my mind, especially in Asia, they equally have corruption in mm-hmm. their countries and in their, their nations as we do in an African nation. So I don't know what the breakdown of communication lack of preparations, it's a whole cyclical effect between African leadership and Western leadership mm-hmm. that does not, it, it just does not match up. Mm. So an understanding needs to happen. A, a shift needs to happen. And I know that it's not going to be an overnight thing. I know that, it, to be honest, it may not even be fixed in our generation. And we have to be okay with that. But we also have to take the steps and the, and the measures to change the dynamics, the dynamics so that our children's children won't have to suffer this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really ridiculous that, like you said, we're in 2019. And, you know, I think there was a video going viral of the, the president of Ghana and talking with uh, Macron, right, about the fact that we can't keep relying on this savior complex, right? We keep, right. We keep saying, oh, Europe or the IMF, this, that, and the third, you international community come in here and teach us how to do this. It's like, when will leadership start to learn how to fend and take care of themselves? Right. And for me, I really think that it's that colonial mentality that Fela Kuti sings about, um, where it, we're, we're subject to it more in Africa for whatever reason. I really need to delve into this more, um, what the theories are out there. 
but we we seem to be more um, susceptible to it than any other countries, like you said, who have been under who have been colonized by uh, European countries. In that, once we've been freed, we're still not free mentally. Yeah, we still feel like we have to posture into you know forever to these people and defer to whatever they say. And also, we we value what they say over what our own people say, even if they're saying the same thing. And I mean, if, 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 a, if, a, if an organization or an NGO run by Africans makes the same recommendations as any of these other NGOs that are in alignment with these European countries, we will ignore them and defer to the, <laughs> to the Europeans for whatever reason. And, so, and m- m- many of the times the Europeans' re- recommendations come with a caveat. They come with the... Um, well, this is what we also need from you at the end. And especially true with China in terms of the investments that they make um, in our infrastructure and things like that. Yep. I don't know when that's going to change. You know, I don't know, like, why, why is that continuing, even as new generations come into power? It's like, are we passing down that mentality to our young mm-hmm. people? Why, why are they willing to accept that? You know, I, I think I even see that today on... Um, on my end, like not on the continent, but here when we go to these conferences and things like that, that are run by, you know, these African student groups at different Ivy Leagues, where it's like, oh, well, we need to position ourselves as close. And I, I please don't take offense whoever is listening to this. <laughs> we have to position ourselves as close as possible to whiteness in order to get validation. Like it can't ever just be a room of us saying, okay, this is what we're going to do, guys. It always has to be a position, whether it be because we're within the Ivy League system, because that's also positioning to whiteness, mm-hmm. or whether it's we have to have the um, endorsement of, you know, the queen, we have to have the endorsement of, you know, whoever represents the epitome of um, aristocratic um, social class um, within a European um, context before we're taken seriously. Sorry, I'll let you respond now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I completely agree with you. I I hate it. <laughs> I hate that we have this mindset about one what's the the I guess the epitome and the vision of what success looks like or should look like mm-hmm. and who our standard is. But two also this for lack of a better word to be honest, this this hatred we have for ourselves where we continue to backtrack and backslide into the years of yesternots, right? Mm -hmm. Of thinking about what happened. And I know it it sounds, I know I annoy some people when I say it, but it's it's just also, it's very true. We cannot continue to live in yesterday, expecting tomorrow to be better if we have not graduated from our hurt and our pain. Mm -hmm. You suffer from a mindset of I'm so angry. I will never forgive. I don't like white people. I hate um, supporting white people. Here's the reality of it: we need we need all all of everybody. Right. right. We need everybody. Black people, especially in this country, United States of America, we have yet to put the structures and systems in place for us to be successful. And compete with the world markets. Otherwise, Africa would not be where it is right now. It really wouldn't be. Mm. We wouldn't be begging people to go back 
to Africa for vacation spots so we can build up our tourism because African tourism is not where it needs to be with the exception of South Africa. And we already know the demographics of that country. Right. That's where the white people are right. in the, in, on the continent. Mm-hmm. Right now they're moving into the Nigerias and the Ghanas of the, of the continent and Asia and Chinese people and Asian, uh, more Asians are moving into those, those markets and creating more business savvy systems and structures, but it's not our own. Why have we yet to learn and study how to build these structures and implement them cohesively, without corruption, without monarchy, and be able to do it successfully? Mm. It's because we keep looking to the past and not figuring out how to build the future. Mm. And you can only live in the past for so long before it eats you up and keeps you bonded in bondage to what what could have been what should have been we have there has to get to we have to get to a point where we get over things and we get over it quickly mm-hmm. will you be offended of course it's impossible not to live with another human being being around another human being and not be offended we are all human beings we all we all have flesh we all have feelings we all have our own thoughts depending on how we were raised in the society and the culture we were raised there's no way for us to be able to agree 100% of the time but in order for us to move forward, we also have, sorry, in order for us to progress, we have to move forward from our past hurts is the only way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Barbara Corcoran, um, if you ever watch Shark Tank, she's one of the sharks, um, mm-hmm. self-made millionaire woman out of New York. She said it best. Success comes to those people, sorry, failure comes to everybody, but success comes to those who pick themselves, to those people who pick them up, themselves up quicker. We've been working our butts off for years, right? For decades, for for lifetimes, in some people's case. And the fact that we're just being recognized and just being appreciated, mm. it's late. And it's unfortunately late. Mm. We still have a lot of a lot more work to do. And we have to recognize that it may not come in one day. It may not come in one year. It may not come in 10 years. But the fact that we're just being recognized as the first of anything in this day and age, that's sad. And it's not, it's a testament to the struggle that we go through. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I would probably even add to that. We shouldn't, that could be a tool also for dividing us. So going back to kind of what we were talking about with the, uh, the mentality of seeing our, taking ourselves seriously versus people of a certain descent or from a certain community when they say things that we need to change uh, within mm-hmm. our society. I think that if, if we're not careful, those of us who do reach those, those positions of exceptionalism or become the poster child for how we should be able to do better as a community, as an African community, mm-hmm. we can fall into the trap of then discouraging our brothers and sisters from feeling that they can achieve the same thing. Yeah. Feel like okay. Well, I'm just gonna be relegated to the the path that my life is taking right now, and there's nothing that I can can do about it. We have to then say, well, if I've achieved this, it's not by my own. It was it's not by my own strength. There were always people around me, and they will have you sometimes think because oh, you got this award, it was all you. When you have to remember that your community was there first <laughs> before they came with the awards, before they came and said, okay, we choose you to be the poster child, your community was there first. So how can you go back to your community and tap into that same potential that is not being tapped into because a certain person doesn't look a certain way or they don't talk a certain way 
that catches the eye of um, the people who apparently dictate whether or not we are truly successful or not. There's, there's, there's millions of young people on the continent of Africa. You can't tell me that only less than 1% of them <laughs> are able to rise the ranks and become you know, leaders within the international space. That's impossible. That's totally impossible. I mean, we outnumber um, the, you know, they call us the minority class, but we outnumber the majority class but yet there's so few of us represented in these positions of leadership. And th- th- that by, according to math, if I'm understanding correctly, it's just like, <laughs> doesn't, it doesn't add up. So, at all. Yeah. So as, as leaders in the African diaspora community who are lucky enough to say that we've went to these Ivy League institutions or we have worked with these prestigious organizations, have to remember that, again, our community was there first and we need to go back and find the, that potential that's in our community that is going under use and make sure that we bring more of them into the positions of leadership or the positions of privilege that we happen to experience as well. And, and Sean, I want to add this because you, you bring up a good point and I want to make sure I add this. It's great for us to be working hard or thinking that we're working hard because we are working. Mm-hmm. But one thing that we always have to do if we want these positions of leadership is show up. Yeah. We have to show up, right? And one thing that has become buzzword in the last three, four, five, seven years is diversity and inclusion. Mm, yeah. <laughs> diversity, inclusion, and community. Yep. I was talking to my cousin probably a couple months ago at this point, and she said something that made my skin get hot. She was telling me about how she, because she works for a good company. I'm not going to say the company name, but she works for a good company and she has a fairly good position after she's only been in the marketplace for what, two years now for an entry-level position. And she works in the diversity and inclusion space, but she was telling me that, you know, auntie, that I'm, I'm doing well um, where I am. I don't foresee myself wanting to be higher than a manager um, that I'm okay with where I am. And I'm like, what does that mean? She was like, well, you know, I'm making good money. By the time I make a manager, that would be making good money, blah, blah, blah. So I was sitting there looking at her. I'm like, first and foremost, you work in diversity and inclusion. The whole premise of your, your area is for you to bring in more people who look like you, who are able to understand the marketplace like you, who are hopefully better than you if they're coming after you and will be able to succeed and get to higher ranks that are not there, that we're, where we're not represented already. Mm-hmm. And she was saying that, you know, blah, 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 that is not a study for her. She doesn't want to do this corporate thing, blah. And I'm sitting here and I'm just like, no, that's the problem that we have. Once we get in, we're okay. That's a problem. Mm. It's not good enough to just get in. Mm. You have to get in and, and dominate. You have to get in and show, your, show why you were able to get in, in the first place. Why you are deserving of these C-suite positions, the director positions, his managerial, senior managerial positions. Mm-hmm. Because the reason why we're not being able to be represented is because we're also not showing up. You can be in the plate, in the room. You can be at the table, but are you showing up? Are you speaking up? Right. Are you, is your voice and your opinions being heard? Because if they're not, then you have, you're equal as not being in the room. Mm. Yeah, they can easily ignore you. Very easily. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You can hear the information and have no idea what they're talking about. Right. Right. It's a matter of advocating for ourselves in those, <clears throat> even when we get in, don't just say that, okay, you know, thank you so much. Like I shouldn't ask for any more. No, be willing to ask for what you know you deserve. 
Right. But you also have to prove that you're able to be there and get what you deserve. You have to work for it. For sure. 100%. And I'm wondering, how how did you build that confidence in yourself? You know, because A, your point about this needs to take time is, is true. And it's also, it also makes me wonder and worry about the women who go into entrepreneurship out of force, right? They feel like they have no choice because and, and this is, there's a statistics that show this, that a lot of women um, feel pushed into it because, you know, their job is not giving them the adequate benefits that they need in terms of like, well, I want to build a family and I need maternity leave and I need the flexibility to be able to, you know, raise my children. I might not have the ability to afford a nanny that can watch them while I'm, you know, doing this many hours that my work demands of me. And so a lot of women feel that they are forced into entrepreneurship because they need higher pay and they're not getting it from their current line of work. They need more flexibility in their lifestyle uh, to, you know, accommodate other people in their lives. But uh, they, they know that they have to build those relationships and they might not have the, the confidence to be able to put themselves out there, or they just don't even know where to begin. How did you build that confidence? And what, what's your method for saying, okay, by this point in time, even though I know it's going to take a while, by this point of time, I want to reach these certain benchmarks in terms of building my network. Well, let me first say that I don't always meet my goals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I set them and I seek to pursue them. But the reality of it is that I'm not going to always meet my goals. And that's okay so long as I try to meet them. But as far as the confidence, there are scriptures in the Bible that speaks about being the mouthpiece of God. Mm-hmm. And for me, I've always loved to talk. I used to get in trouble as a child talking because mm-hmm. I used to always just like to converse with people. So that same spirit that I, I had as a youth and I had, had as a child, literally has followed me into my adulthood. And I just try to tap into that. Mm, Literally. I just try to find that common ground with people. And I I especially love dealing with people one-on-one because people are able to give you a piece of their heart when you're one-on-one. Having intimate relationships with intimate conversations, Mm -hmm. right? And having that ability to connect with people on a deeper level just by speaking to them about what matters most to them is when you build relationships. So I, I like to use that platform of building connections and being connected with people to build my business because at the end of the day, business relationships happen because of relationships people have with one another. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> a business can't, or a company won't invest in you or a person won't invest in you if they don't feel or believe that they can invest in you as a person and the way that you're going after your business. They won't trust you with their thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars if you don't put yourself in a position where you're one, vulnerable, but two, where you're being your truth, truthful and honest self. If they can't trust you as an individual, they can't trust you as a business owner. Mm-hmm. So having people being able to build that trust is where I take my confidence and people knowing that what you see is what you get. I will give you a piece of my mind and if you don't like it, okay, I'll, t- I'll figure out a way to work around it so that you, so we can be on the same page, mm-hmm. but I'll tell you my opinion and I'll respect yours in the same, in the same, same breath, but I will still give you my honest truth so that you can understand where I'm coming from. Yeah. See how we can work together. 
but also honestly understanding that I'm a mouthpiece of God and that God has sent me to do this work. So I'm trusting God that you will not fail me because if you fail, that means you fail, that God fails and God, you're not a God of failure. So Amen. let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, see, both of us, like there's just synergy in terms of like the, the belief in a higher calling, a higher power, right? Right. And I just, for those people who are listening and may not subscribe, I, I still want you to know that you have to believe in something beyond yourself. Uh, right. I don't know what that's going to be for you, but in order to have that patience and that resilience, if you're solely reliant on looking at what you are capable to, capable of doing, you have limitations. Right. And the, the more you harp on your limitations, the more downcast you're going to be or uh, less motivated you're going to be to really feel like you can reach those uh, goals that you're trying to pursue. So, and, and then when you were saying, a lot of the things that you were saying also seems to summarize it, it's about building a, a character of patience, a character of, uh, of integrity, making sure that you say what you mean and you abide by the word that you, you know, speak out into the atmosphere or into okay. the universe. And then, yeah, it's about uh, taking the time to, to prove yourself, honestly, and well, as a woman, I tend to feel that we have to prove ourselves a lot more than other people. I feel like the onus on us to to demonstrate some kind of evidence of being extraordinary is unduly put on us versus our male counterparts. I'm going to be totally frank. I think that regardless of that, it's just a reality that if you are in a position where you feel like entrepreneurship is the only way out to really achieve your, your life's goals and to have the lifestyle that you want. Maybe what it is, is you stay in the position that you're in right now, whether it be a full-time job or what have you, and work on building those relationships before you jump right into entrepreneurship, right? Make sure that you're having those conversations and seeing real-time feedback from people when they hear your ideas and there's also a question about, I'm, I'm jumping up around a bit, but there's also a question about also sharing your ideas in a, in a strategic way. Because another thing that I feel women do more often than not is we, we immediately trust whoever is saying that they are going to lend us an open ear. And the, the sad reality of business is that you do have to be cautious because you can't protect ideas. And you don't want someone to run with an idea that you are slowly trying to build your uh, collateral around to like to actually go and pursue it. But a little bit of a digression, but either way, I think that the, the moral of the story is in what you're talking about is take that time to do the work of hearing other people out, having them be honest critics um, obviously look for constructive feedback. There, there is such a thing as that. So if people are not telling you how you can improve on your ideas, then maybe they're not the best audience for you. And that's and you shouldn't let that discourage you. But people who are giving you constructive feedback, take that in. And as time goes by, think about how you're crafting a better pitch and a better, stronger idea so that you can go back to those people and they can be your champions for when you're truly ready to launch. So several things to that, because even when you're speaking, some more thoughts came to my head. Mm-hmm. Um, even when you, you said that women are the quickest, we're quick to trust people who said they'll help us. Ironically, I don't know if I necessarily disagree with you. I feel like it's, it's a case-by-case situation. But the first thing that thought came to my mind actually was Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook. Yeah. And that whole story, because... That's like a quintessential, yeah. Quintessential. You know, 
I honestly do believe that the twins and at Harvard at the time that he was in school did come up with the idea of, of Facebook because essentially he was helping them. But the way that he, he spun it, it became his own spin on what they had. Yeah. <laughs> We're not even going to go down that route. But my point being is, yeah, yes, you're absolutely right. You do need to trust. You need to take care of what you say to people and trust yourself enough to be able to go out through your vision because not everybody will have your best intention at, at heart and not everybody mm-hmm. will be an advocate of you. But as women of color and as women of faith, one thing I've noticed within the past year of being in full-time business is that we, especially black women and black people as a whole, the reasons why our businesses don't scale as quickly is because we don't necessarily look for how to build our network. Mm. We're always looking to do it on our own because we don't necessarily have this trusting factor of people. Mm. The reality of life is that people are going to fail you. It's painful. It hurts. It sucks, but it's truthful. Mm. Um, We need to be able to build relationships with people where we can bring in people who will be able to take our visions bigger and beyond what we can imagine or think Mm. beyond here and now, because again, and I mean, I have no apologies for always going to the Bible, but Jesus is, it, he, he is the man, right? He, he's a perfect reference point. He came to save the world. He saved the world. He, he died for our sins. Yes, great, fantastic. But he was not able to go out to the world to minister to the world. He sent what? His disciples out, mm. right? He said, you're going to be a minister unto me in Samaria and Judea and all the ends, to the ends of the world. Because he himself, his ministry was in Jerusalem. It was in Israel directly. Right. But in terms of getting out the message and expanding the vision, it took the 12 disciples, it took the 12 disciples and they're them making more disciples of other people and going out becoming fishers of men. So I say that mm-hmm. to say that when you're in business, you can start small, you can start lean. That's fantastic. That's how you should, you should grow and show that the, your business is being, is able to be scalable. But it gets to a point where if you're looking to become a corporation, you're going to need other hands. You're going to need other eyes people who can see what you're, what you're looking at and can understand and perceive what you're talking about, but can push it to the ends of the world, if you will. Yeah. You're going to need a CEO, a COO, a director of marketing, a director of uh, technology. All those roles mean something for the greater good, for the greater picture. So mm-hmm. we have to keep that in the back of our mind. And I think I mentioned it earlier, but I'm going to say it again. For women who feel that they are forced into business again side hustling and entrepreneurship are two different things right they are two different things i know from experience because when you're side hustling you still have a cushion mm-hmm. <laughs> when you're an entrepreneur there's no cushion and you better hope that wherever you fall that it doesn't hurt <laughs> <laughs> because if it does it's just more power to you mm-hmm. and i say this to say that Either way is good, but you need to know yourself. Entrepreneurship, I honestly believe since it's a calling. It is, mm-hmm. you have to have some kind of crazy desire. You have to be some, some level of crazy. You have to be some level of hungry, like consistently hungry to stay in that position because you, you're not going to always get what you want. You can have a great idea, a great execution plan. But until your potential customer sees the purpose of your business helping their business or their, their need, whatever it may be, their problem, solving their problem, 
it doesn't matter. I remember meeting this white lady who was 22 years, I think, into entrepreneurship. She said she had a great business. She, she did well for herself, but it got to a point where she said she, she said she was so tired of cutting checks and doing payroll that she just wanted to go back into corporate America and have somebody write her a check because she said she was tired. She was burnt out. Mm. She was burnt out. White woman who had, she, did, she said she did well. And I can't remember where her business was now off the top of my head, but she had a brick and mortar store, uh, brick and mortar office, was doing six figures every year. But it's a lot, you know? Yeah. And to be a one woman show, and then to have to maintain a team, managing people is one of the hardest things life has ever will ever do. You'll ever do in life. Mm. Managing people is it's its own beast. Right. But right. I digress. Um, know who you are because entrepreneurship is not for everyone. People can have side businesses where you can make money. You should have multiple streams of income. Great. But don't think that because you have a side hustle that you have to go full time into it. Mm. One thing that people don't realize when they are asking or looking for investors, it means also that you are offering equity or stake or a percentage of your company for these investors to come in, give you money, but also to give you their opinion. And by doing so, that means that you are giving away piece of your business to people. And that may be your, your goal and you may be okay with that. And but most people don't understand that getting an exchange of money also means that you're getting an exchange of someone else's opinion who may not always agree with you or look to be doing the same task or same or have the same mission or purpose in your business as you do. Mm-hmm. So that's something that people need to keep in the back of their minds when they're hardcore looking for investors. And the higher or more money they give you, the more percentage they're going to ask for your business in, into your business. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. And, but I think the struggle sometimes, especially when you identify as a woman and moreover, if you identify as a woman of color, right. is that you don't necessarily come with all those resources in hand, right? And you have this amazing vision to do this great work. And sometimes you feel like you need to ask other people for help. So how do you, how do you navigate that? Uh, how do you navigate that tension between wanting to make sure you have 100% ownership of your vision and, and your mission and your goals that you have for this work while also realizing that you're one person with limited resources? Yeah. So there's also angel investing where people are giving you money at no cost to you, right? It's almost like a scholarship or a gift. Yeah. You can get people who are angel investors who pretty much say, hey, I believe in your vision. I believe in your mission and the purpose of your, vi- your business and how you're looking to help the market and the greater community. I want to be a seed giver into your business and your platform. I don't want anything back. But of course, out of the kindness of your heart and out of the diligence of you protecting your assets, you would just constantly give people feedback and updates of what's going on in your business, the transformations that you're making and the trajectory of, which you're, of where you're looking to go. But also with that, as I tell people who are looking to go into business, you have to be a great networker, right? Right. You have to be a great person in their first advocate of your business. And one thing that I do, especially when I travel or whenever I'm in a place that is new to me, I always look for at least one person to whom I can introduce myself and tell them about my business because six degrees of separation is real. That person may not have what you need, but they may know someone who works in your industry, who, you, who they can connect you to. And it may not be a quick transac- transaction. Most 
business dealings are not quick transactions when you're talking about working with thousands, tens of thousands, especially hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. It is not going to be an overnight thing. Can it be? Of course. But that's a dime a dozen. And those opportunities are the ones that you hear about. The reality of business is that it takes time to build relationships and it takes time to transact business, especially with the higher rounds of money. So whenever I go somewhere, I always look to to tell someone about who I am because at this point, I am my my business. I am my brand. I am my own bread and butter. And if I don't speak up about my business, no one else is going to do it for me. Just to, to close out on this on this thought about um, how we how we see ourselves, I think that's really it. And I don't know if it's a matter of met- like br- breaking up the issue of mental health, for example. I don't I I don't know how like finding the root cause of this whole mentality has been an exercise. Uh, <laughs> that has been like very taxing uh, in terms of like figuring out what is going on in the minds of everyday Africans that leads to however we respond um, in our, in our circumstances. But I, I, I it's going to be, have to be like a mass intervention. And when you say connecting with people who, you know, we need everybody on deck, I, I, I implore like, or I really beg people who are, who are, who are in those positions where they are connected to people like the IMFs or the larger NGOs that are um, trying to do their part, just use your, use your position to then remind them that they cannot be the sole owners of this, of this work, that they need to find a way to truly help other p- Africans who have the propensity and the potential for leadership to rise up and invite them to, to do that. And that is one step in changing a mind, their mindset about who they are. And, you know, when you, when you see more people at the table who, are, who look like the people who you're saying that you're going to help, you can still be in the background. And if you want to take credit for it, that's fine or whatever. But try to stay as far removed back so that we can see more of our people leading. And I think that's the first step in really changing that mindset. Um, Again, I don't know if there needs to be other types of interventions of mental health um, in our con- on our continent, because I do think it's, it's definitely rooted in some kind of like self-hatred. But I think the, the, mo- the quickest, the most practical step that we can probably take right now is that those of you who are in proximity to these organizations, please use your position not to continue to say, well, we need more of the Chinese to come here and do this, or I'm going to continue to give contracts to these people and not my own. The, the le- less amount of opportunities that you give to your own people, the more that mentality continues to perpetuate itself. And unless, I guess if you're in the business of keeping us in this state so that you will always, there will always be a need for your services. And that's another issue that's very worrisome. But like, if you're truly in there to make a permanent change, I really ask you to, to do that, to find your young people, find your leaders or find those people who have the potential for leadership. They don't have to already be at a certain status, see some kind of potential in them and give them that opportunity to sit at the table so that we can start changing that narrative about who's actually saving our continent. And I guess I'll leave it at that. (laughs) Um, But uh, just to close us out, um, I also always ask my my guests to tell me who their target audience is for their, for the main message that they, if they had one main message to get across and how would you, say it in a way that's very easy, like, you know, in this sh- short attention span world, 
how can you just give us a quick, short, like, soundbite of what your main message is to the target audience that you want um, to hear from you? And, you know, just summarize it really quick. So in two parts, my target audience are parents of college-bound students. And I say this to my parents that for years we've been applying to colleges all wrong and we have taught our children to, to do the same. And by, in essence, by doing so, we have created a society that is indebted to society itself because we have students who are paying back tens, hundreds of thousands of dollars in loans and not being truly educated. So we need to shift that paradigm so we can have more students who are educated based on their skills and their talents so they can better contribute to society once they enter the marketplace. Oh, perfect. That was very succinct. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, oh, you're done. (laughs) (laughs) No, that was great. Um, BC, I thank you so much for, you know, your energy and just your, your positivity and also, you know, not just positivity for the sake of positivity, but really how to take that positive attitude and turn it into practical solutions for anyone who is looking to do this work and needs the encouragement to continue persisting uh, regardless of whatever challenges they face. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm so appreciative. Appreciative. (laughs) (laughs) I hope this conversation brought some enlightenment, especially to those in the older generation who are encouraging in a positive, in a, for good intentions for our young African leaders to pursue greatness, right? We do want to see them succeed, but to also make sure that we're tapping into just their whole self, their wholeness, making sure that they are mentally, spiritually, emotionally capable and ready to take on the responsibilities of such an enormous task of it's more than just looking out for themselves, right? It's more about bringing together a generation that's going to collectively, with all the different works, types of work that they're doing, with the different types of passions that they're pursuing, bring an economic revival, a socioeconomic revival to the continent and to the community of Africans, both in diaspora in terms of those who are from the continent and have moved away, and those who are Afro-Latino, those who are in the Caribbean, you know, that whole pan-African community to make sure that we are looking out for our best interests and truly as leaders working together to look out for one another's well-being. And that comes from a greater awareness of what it means to be a leader um, and also being in tune and tapped in with what someone's gifts are and how to make sure they can use it for the greater good. So thank you for listening to the final episode of The Diaspora. I hope that this also inspires you to attend our conference. Once again, it is happening in September. It is called the Genvolution Conference. It is scheduled for Saturday, September 28th, 2019. If you want more details, please visit our website, www.carfee.org. And also follow us on social media at Genvolution, J-E-N-Volution Conference, all one word, both on Facebook and on Instagram. Check out our next episode of the Iron Series. It probably will be until October because we are going full steam ahead on the conference. So the next major content that you'll hear from us is actually the live stream edition of the of the Genvolution Conference. So again, 
Make sure you purchase your tickets. You can watch both in person or via live stream and tickets are available now. Until then, have a great summer and stay sharp.